The title of my message this morning is The Journey to Christ, but the original title I was going to give it was, oh, hasn't shown up. The original title was Evangelism for the Terrified. So I don't know if you're like me, but most Christians find it hard to share the gospel. Um, we're fearful of being looked down on. We, we don't know what to say. Um, we're worried it could create an awkward moment. And we're, we're, uh, we're just um, not sure how to proceed. And so my goal today is to provide some practical help and encouragement for sharing our faith. And the key idea I'm going to bring this morning is that new life comes in a moment, but conversion is often a journey. Being born again happens in a moment, but but coming to Jesus is something that is often a journey, sometimes a long journey. I'm going to do three things. Oh, oh, I also want to say that um, God's job is to save the person, but ours is to help them on the journey. So God, somebody's born again, we can't do that. We can't bear them again, but we can assist on this journey. So my three points, the first is I'm going to tell some stories or go through some stories in the New Testament on how people came to salvation. And then I want to talk about steps on the journey, and I've got some cards to hand out, which we can use as a, as a, a reference for us going through. And then I'm going to focus on John chapter 3 and 4, um, looking at a little more detail about the, the journey that people were on. And then afterwards, we're going to have a question time. So if you've got some questions, you can get them ready. So uh, in, in Mark chapter 12... Jesus um, is talking to one of the experts in the Jewish law. It says, now one of the experts in the law came and heard them debating. When he saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, and that word is Shema. Those of you here last week remember that. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So this is Jesus' response. Uh, then the expert in the law said to him, That is true, teacher. You are right to say that he is one, and there is no one else beside him, and to love him with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now here, this is the key bit. When Jesus saw he'd answered thoughtfully, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now what does that mean? You're not far from the kingdom. You're, surely you're either a Christian or you're not. You're either a believer or you're not. Well, Jesus is saying there's actually a journey here, and somebody can be not far. Can you suggest what it was that made Jesus say that in the man's reply? I think what it is is that, that where he was coming from, it was all about the externals and the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and all the rituals. And Jesus is saying he's making a journey from the rituals to the reality, and he's on that way. So the key idea from here I want you to get is that the idea of not being far indicates that it's a journey. Um, 
And it is possible to discern that. So Jesus discerned that in the person, that's what that state they were in. We're going to spend <coughs> most of our time today in John chapters 3 and 4. Uh, I, I'm going to, uh, but before we get there, I want to look at some other scriptures. But actually what I'm going to do is to, to actually show you where we're going. I'm going to show you where we're going to end up at the end this morning. And then we're going to go through other stuff and come back to it. So I want to just take you to the end of chapter 4. Don't say, don't you say there are four months and then comes the harvest. I tell you, look up and see the fields are already white for harvest. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. The one who reaps receives pay and gathers fruit for eternal life so that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. The saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified, he told me everything I ever did. They began asking him to stay with them. He stayed there two days and because of his word, many more believed. And so Jesus is saying there is a process here. There's a journey and there's sometimes a lot of sowing that goes on and before the reaping happens. And sometimes people have the privilege of reaping the harvest, but they're entering to the labors of all the people that have worked before. And so what I want to say is you may be the person to plant a seed in someone's life and you never ever see it come to fruit, but you've done that and that's valuable. Another person may water it and then a third person may see the harvest. So that's what I want to encourage you with that. I also want to say that we need to learn to understand where people are on that journey and what they need next. And I, what one of my main purposes of this message is that we're not discouraged in evangelism because we, all we have to do is to play our part. And we can get discouraged if we think, oh, there's so much. What have I actually contributed? But actually, the little thing that we do, the word that we say, that the comments that we make might be just what that person, God uses in that person to move them along in their life. Take a couple of stories from the New Testament. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul stood before King Agrippa at one point. King Agrippa was one of the people who tried him one of his trials. And in this example, Paul is witnessing to King Agrippa. And Paul identifies where he is on the journey. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. Do you believe the prophets, King Agrippa? I know that you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, are you persuading me to become a Christian? Paul replied, I pray to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all those who are listening to me today could become what I am. And so Paul has identified, look, I can see where you are. You believe in the Old Testament. You believe the prophecies about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about him. And he's, he's, uh, identifying the step that Agrippa needs to make. Now, as far as we know from history, Agrippa never made that step. He he never uh, actually became a Christian. But we do know from the Bible that as soon as this was over, he tried to get Paul released. He tried to get him freed. So obviously he was touched by what happened. Other people who were there may have been saved. We don't know. But this was a, Paul was, was, could see exactly where Agrippa was and he was addressing where he needed to get to, to the next step. 
Um, so let's go back to our overview. Stories from the New Testament on how people came to salvation. Uh, steps on the journey and focusing on John 3 and 4. So those were the stories I wanted to, to cover just briefly. Um, what I'd like to do now is to talk about some steps on the journey. Uh, back in 1975, that's over 40 years ago, a man called uh, James Engel wrote a book that profoundly changed people's ideas on evangelism. And uh, in the in the link that uh, uh, I'll send out in the email this week, I'm going to put in a, uh, a link to a summary of the book, which has got the key ideas in the book, which is very helpful, I think. And the book is called What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest? And he examined the steps that people go through in their journey of becoming Christians. And he suggested that if we have an all-or-nothing approach, we can get discouraged and become ineffective. And he came up with some common steps on the journey. I'm going to ask my assistants to hand out the cards now. And what we're going to do uh, is, we, okay, you can hand them out right now. <clears throat> so what we're going to do is go through these steps and understand that these steps are, are simply, um, are simply suggestions. They're not, they're not like, uh, hard, hard and fast rules. They're an idea. It's a useful way of thinking about the journey. And, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about what these steps might be. And we're going to take uh, some examples in Scripture. So <coughs> so um, not everybody starts at the top there. And, of course, not everybody ends up at the bottom. But the top one is, first one, if God is a myth, no real concept that anybody could be... Um, uh, you know, the, the God could really exist. Um, this person could discuss God and talk about God, but just in the same way that you and I may talk about dragons. You know, we don't think they really exist. They're completely hypothetical. So we can, we can talk about the idea of God. Um, so that this person can then, um, as they, as they live and as they reflect on this, they realize that the implications of this, there's no meaning to life. There's really nothing. It's just, Everything, nothing that they do has got any purpose whatsoever, really. Just a bunch of molecules that eventually, um, you know, get destroyed. What does it mean? And so there can become a dissatisfaction, which often God brings in to their lives, and they come to a point where there's a possibility that maybe God exists. It, it is possible. <laughs> well, usually, if somebody admits that there's a possibility of God exists, it's not very long before they've got framework, well, there's some sort of spiritual world out there. There's some, you know, I believe there's some kind of, something other than us, a higher power, whatever. And uh, that actually is a big step, because as soon as you've admitted that there's some other kind of being, there's something out there, then it starts you on a journey. And one of the, the, the first steps on this journey is wondering, well, is is this completely impersonal, or does this God actually know me? Is he aware of me? Can I pray to him? Can I actually have some kind of contact with this God? And this will this will be something that can come up. And um, uh, at this point, the person um, may hear about Jesus, or they may already know about Jesus, but they may think, well. Um, what I know about Jesus, Jesus offers something like that. Jesus seems to 
of a relationship and they might, might begin to just <clears throat> explore a little bit of that and become interested in Jesus or interested in church. And sometimes what happens is the person at this point will start going to church. Nobody ever challenges them about, you know, are you a Christian or not? And they just get involved in church socially. And in fact, there are churches which have got, which really never go any further than this. The church is all about some sort of social activity. And it's all about just, you know, um, you know, we love Jesus, but there's no, people are not born again in those churches. And so <coughs> this is the place the person can go to, and they can stop. They can stop at any point on this journey. But um, what can happen often at this point is that something happens in their life which, um, which God brings in, which touches them with the reality that they have an impact. Something has happened which which it could be they, they experience love from somebody. It could be that something supernatural happens in their life. Something happens which touches them with the reality. And also what can happen at this point is that this, the truth of the gospel, instead of just being a set of things that they knew, you know, you need to do this and this is this is Jesus came and died and so on, actually becomes alive for them in a real way. The people have said something like, you know, I've heard the gospel many times, but suddenly I heard it, it felt like I heard it for the first time. And that's the kind of expression somebody makes when they get to that point. And often simultaneously with that, they would feel a personal need. I, I need God. I, 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 I can't go on without God. There's something I need right now. And that need, maybe it's a need they feel they need, you know, they need to get rid of their sin. Maybe they need forgiveness. That could be their need. It could be that they're, you know, they're worried, you know, what happens when I die? It could be a lot of different things. Um, unfortunately, often processes of evangelism, like methods for evangelism, focus on that need right away. That's all they concentrate on. You need God. This is going to happen to you. They go straight in at that point. The person may not even believe in God, or they may be a different point in their journey. But that is a a very real point that that people have when they recognize they have a need. (coughs) And this brings them to the last three there, which are kind of can happen in just a moment. And the last three, counting the cost of following Jesus. And Jesus would challenge people this. Somebody would start following him and they would, they would want to come after Jesus. And Jesus said, Don't you realize that if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross. You have to be willing to give everything and challenging them. And often, uh, people preaching the gospel will talk about their need, but they won't challenge people with the cost because they don't want to put them off. But Jesus wasn't afraid of doing this. So Jesus would tell, challenge them to count the cost, but also, Challenge them to respond. This is what you need to do. This is, you, you need to turn uh, from everything and trust Jesus. And then that's the last stage when they become a Christian. And so what I'm going to say to you, two things. First of all, this is not a rigid, um, you know, prove everything from the Bible list. It's a useful way of thinking about things that people have thought carefully about and put together. It, uh, it matches some people, it may not match other people, but at least it's a starting point. The second thing is that in each of these steps, there's, there's a part that we play and there's a part that, that God plays. In fact, some of the things only really God can do, like bringing awareness of personal need, we just have to pray that God will do that. Um, uh, the touch by reality of God, well, 
if somebody is touched by a reality of God, it's it's something that God has done through the Holy Spirit. So what I want you to to to, to be aware then of these two things. It's not it's not like a mechanical process that we can say it's there. Um, it's a suggestion for how we can pray for people and how we can say a timely word or do a timely thing at the right point. So we can have some discussion about this at the end. Um, but just to give you an example, when Paul was in Athens and he began his sermon, uh, uh, I, I see you are altogether religious. I see there is a temple, even a temple to the unknown God. How would Paul identify them on this, this, this scale here? Where would they be? Okay, vague awareness and belief in God. Yes, that that would be it. Um, <coughs> with them, it would be uh, a strong belief that there is a God, but a very, like, an unknown God, like, un- realizing that there's a lot of stuff they didn't know about God. And so what Jesus did, sorry, what Paul did at that point was he said, well, I'm going to tell you about who this person is. This person is Jesus. And so he went down through the next three, explained what Jesus, who Jesus is. Some of them laughed at him. In other words, they weren't touched by the reality. They weren't impacted by the truth. But some of them said, we want to hear you again. We'd like to hear you at another time. And we know then that some of them did hear him at another time and some of them believed and some got right down to the bottom and they were saved. And so we see in that in that uh, evangelistic endeavor that Paul had, he identified where they were and actually used that point as his jumping off point to move them to the next step and to to then eventually bring some of them to faith in Jesus Christ. So that is my... Uh, uh, steps on the journey and now we're going to focus on John 3 and 4 and look at some examples well can anybody tell me what happens in John 3 who's it who's John 3 about Nicodemus yes so <clears throat> now a certain man a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council came to Jesus at night and said Rabbi we know that you are a teacher who's come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. So where would he be on this list here? Where is he? Obviously, he believes in God, the first three steps there. Um, uh, it looks like he's aware of Jesus, what Jesus has to offer, interested in Jesus, and something has touched him. He's touched by the reality because he's seen the supernatural. So I would say he's get to this point, um, but he doesn't know the gospel. He doesn't really know what it is. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Literally, that's what Jesus is saying, born from above. Often it's translated born again, but the actual Greek says born from above. Nicodemus says to him, now how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Jesus answered, What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus is explaining to him exactly what these facts are. Nicodemus replied, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? And then he explains a bit some more. And then this builds up to verse 16, which I'm sure you all know. 
For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And he very clearly um, challenges him as what the truth is. Well, Nicodemus doesn't seem to respond to this. At least not right away. But Nicodemus is on a journey. And uh, we can see he's on a journey because John records for us some of the next steps of this journey that he's on. Um, he, he's, he's, uh, he's gone through <coughs> to the point of um, impacted by the truth of the gospel. Maybe he's got some awareness of personal need near the bottom there. But it doesn't look like he's counting the cost of following Jesus at this point. He came by night. As far as we can tell, he slunk away. But... It's not long, John chapter 7, we see him counting the cost because um, there's a, in the council, he's one of the rulers of the synagogue um, and there's a discussion. People are in the council are criticizing Jesus and Nicodemus, who'd gone to Jesus before, who was one of the rulers, said, our law doesn't condemn a man unless it first hears from him and learns what he's doing, does it? And they replied, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? Investigate carefully and you'll see that no prophet comes from Galilee. So he takes a big risk by defending Jesus in front of the rest of the Pharisees. But we know his biggest step comes um, at the end of the story. Because at the end, when Jesus dies, um, it's pretty clear that he's a disciple because he is the one who, with Joseph, takes Jesus' body down from the cross and wraps it and contributes 75 pounds weight of very precious ointment. Nicodemus, the man who had previously come to Jesus by night, just in case we should not miss that point, accompanied Joseph, carrying a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 75 pounds. They Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped it with the aromatic spices in, li- in strips of linen cloth according to Jewish burial customs. They placed Jesus' body there in the tomb. Absolutely no doubt he's identifying as a disciple at this point. And um, um, he's uh, clearly uh, placed himself along with Jesus' supporters. So here's somebody then that Jesus... Uh, takes through this process, explains to him, and the person makes the journey. I'd like to look at the last example, which is the next chapter, which is John 4. Can anybody tell me who's in John 4? That's right, the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. So let's look at her story. <clears throat> so Jesus is on a journey and with his disciples, and they reach Samaria. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus since he was tired from the journey, sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink, for his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. In other words, it would re- he was really um he was a surprise to her because usually Jews thought them was were too um thought they were too good for the Samaritans and wouldn't wouldn't bring themselves even to talk to to a Samaritan so the fact that Jew would Jesus would talk to her was was really shocking to her Jesus answered her if you had known the gift of God 
and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what's happening? Well, we don't know to start with about her belief in God, but we do know from later on she believes in in God through the Samaritan uh, belief system. She does believe in God. Um, she's uh, Jesus is making her aware. Uh, one of the, the middle steps. It's the uh, what sixth step down there, um, making her aware of what he has to offer here. Um, and he says, you know, I've got. I could give you living water. Uh, he said, at verse 11, Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. But the water I will give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into eternal life. Well, she's interested at this point. And you can see that uh, she's impacted to a certain extent by the truth. And she says, give me this water so I'll not have to be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she doesn't really understand. She thinks it's a physical water, but she doesn't understand. So Jesus decides to, to take a different tack now. He sees what she really needs is to see there's some supernatural impact of who he is. And so she needs to be the touched by the reality of God. And he decides to do this by speaking prophetically into her life, something that she, he couldn't have known otherwise. So he introduces this by saying, go call your husband and come back here. And the woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, right, you are when you say I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. This you said truthfully. The woman said, sir, I see you're a prophet. So she realizes this has made a very deep connection with her because he could not have known this otherwise. She realized that this is, this is the supernatural event that's happening now. And so now she's got a question about, about a spiritual question she's going to ask him. Some people say she's changing the subject here. Uh, some people say that, no, she's, this is the question that's on our heart. Uh, we can't tell what's going on in her, but... She definitely has this question. Um, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. So this is the question she's got. Who's right? We right? Samaritans right? Are the Jews right? How do you find God? What do I do to find God? Here's Here's somebody who can tell me the answer. She's got this question about God. She's asking. Jesus says to believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and now is here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshippers. God is spirit and the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman brings her next theological question, her next hungering after truth. Um, and she says, I know the Messiah's coming. He's the one called Christ. Whenever he comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus gives her the answer. I, the one speaking to you, am he. So now she's at a point, 
she's right down to this point. She understands the gospel. She's told the gospel. And and how is she going to respond to this? Well, right at this point, the disciples return. They're shocked because he's speaking with a woman. um, But nobody said, what do you want? Or they're too embarrassed to ask Jesus why he's doing this. The woman left and went into the town, said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left the town and began coming to him. And so the way she responded is basically she became an evangelist for Jesus. And the bit we read earlier when I I read for you the the, the verses at the end of the chapter, basically she is is telling people, go to Jesus, he's the Messiah. And so at this point, she's quite completely she's completely committed to following jesus she's not just following him but she's an evangelist for him so you can see that jesus has seen what she needs at each point and he's led the, led her through this process and brought her through to salvation um so uh what I want to do is to be very practical here. I haven't just given you a card to help you remember the sermon. I've given you the card because I actually want you to use it right now. And what I'd like you to do is to, to take out a pen or borrow one from a neighbor. And I would like to think of somebody who you know, who's not a Christian, who you would like to become a Christian, who maybe you have an opportunity. And it must be somebody who's actually in your life, somebody who you at least at some point have contact with. And all I want you to do, you can, in the, the dotted line at the bottom, you can write their name or you can just put their initials if you, if you don't want the people around you to see who they are. Um, and I want you to check off the boxes that you think they already, they already, um, they've already passed. And it might not be in that order. You know, they, people can, can do different things. I want you to check those boxes are for that, um, person. And in a minute, in a minute, we are going to be praying for the person on your list. We're going to be praying for all the people who are on our lists now. And we're going to be praying that God will do his part and God would give you the opportunity of doing your part to help them on their journey. So once again, somebody who is not a Christian, who is in your life, and who you have the opportunity of, of engaging with at some, some point, um, and uh, put their name at the bottom and check off in the boxes what you think they've read, the, the parts of the journey that you, they've already passed. So if you think that they're not an atheist, they believe in God, you can check off the top box. And you can work your way down. And um, you may not know, you might want to put a question mark in. And they, the bo- they may not be in exactly in order. But um, you won't have the bottom box checked because, of course, they'll be a Christian. And you won't, you'll have chosen the wrong person for this exercise. So, so but we're, our goal is the bottom box will be checked. So... What I want you to do then is to to just think about that for a moment. And um, we are going to pray for them. We're going to pray for all of these people. As I said, we're going to pray for two things, that God will do his part and God will give you the opportunity of just doing the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing might be something that is that is uh, uh, just a, you know, a small thing. It might be a big thing. You never know. 
So um, just a, uh, 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 in the last month or so, I had the opportunity of doing some uh, some computer consultancy work for an organisation, and um, that uh, as I was as I was doing this work, I had a real answer to prayer. God gave me an answer to prayer uh, as to how to uh, solve their problem for them. And I really felt I ought to actually say this in my email to them. You know, usually in computer work, I don't try and witness to the people I'm, I'm doing the work with, but I felt I was led to do it. So what I did is I, I emailed the person. I said, um, um, I spent some time yesterday looking at uh, this problem, um, and it was uh, clear to me that it was a very, very significant problem. It would take, um, you know, it would take a huge amount. It was like finding a needle in a haystack. In fact, to be precise, it was like finding one character in 1.7 billion characters. That's what my problem was. And then I said, I, I, I woke up this morning and I, I sent up a quick prayer that I would fo- solve the problem before breakfast. And so uh, I went to my computer. 15 minutes, I'd found what the character was. It was a Q, and it had to be changed to a KW. Another 10 minutes, I'd found where it was in the 1.7 billion files where this Q was. Another five minutes, I'd made the change, and everything was working. So um, I'm going to send you my invoice. Um, you might think it's because I'm particularly clever, but I think I, was un- I, think I, w- I got an answer to prayer. So I got a message back saying... Um, uh, Andrew, you're a genius, but I, re- I do think you have a special connection to your higher power. So, you know, this person identify, you can see where they are. They believe in God, but not Jesus. But anyway, um, please send us your invoice. So, so I, you know, I don't know where I am on that person's journey, but I, what I'm doing in that with that, as I just felt God was leading me to do that. And, um, uh, because that I may never see, ever meet that person. You know, they may, but, but they may have something else happens in their life and something else. And down the road, um, they, they come to God. But my, my job is to do my part and what I feel led to do my part in that. So, summary. Uh, don't expect someone to be saved immediately after a short conversation. But they might be. I mean, they may be. But don't like feel a failure if they're not. God is working. You don't have to do it all. Uh, you, you, you can pray, of course, but um, you don't have to feel that it's all on you. Your part is to assist in the process. You need wisdom to understand where they're at, as Jesus did in this. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray now for all of the people that are on your cards now, and I want you to join with me in praying uh, for, for their salvation. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the extraordinary new life that we can have in Jesus and that you can come and dwell within us and live within us and give us the richness of of God himself to be with you for eternity. And we thank you for the indescribable blessings and benefit of being saved, of knowing you. And Lord, we pray for each of the people who are on these cards now, every single one of them. Lord, we pray that everyone who's written down this morning will come to faith in you. And Lord, we pray for two things. We pray, Lord, that you would bring them into the next step on their journey through um, speaking to them yourself, through other people, who through through thoughts, through act, through events in their life. Lord, I, we pray that you'll bring, you'll move them on the journey. And we pray, Lord, that you'll... You will give wisdom to the person 
who has filled the card out, wisdom and courage to say what needs to be said to bring the person on the journey or to do what needs to be done if it's a matter of just showing some help at some time if that's what's needed. Father, we pray that you would bring fruit from this sermon this morning by bringing people to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.